everybody to a new edition of the Quarcast. This is episode 3, April 10th, 2020. That's right, I'm Owen Newkirk, he's Sean Shapiro. We are still in our sequestered form. The jury has not come back with a verdict, and frankly, Sean, not to sound pessimistic, but I think it's going to be a while of deliberations before we get out of this weird metaphor. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it's where I... One of those things where you kind of look at the time frame and you keep hearing about when decisions are even going to be made. And I mean, when we went all all went into this kind of the optimistic, if you were the almost optimistic person of optimist, you're like, oh well, maybe we'll get back in time for mid-April, like that when this first stoppage. Right, right, for sure. And then and and then all the. I mean, now we're at a point too where all the reports are we're probably not going to see a decision until the end of April at least, and. Who knows what that decision could even mean? I mean, we could get to the end of April, first week of May, and the decision is, well, let's talk, let's punt this down two more weeks and then revisit it. So, um, I mean, we're we're kind of none of us, neither of us are health experts, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's one of those things where this is all the signs and everything like that is we're not uh, we're not doing this face to face anytime soon, based off the uh, how everything's been going. So, before we get into the main topic of our opening segment of this week's Quarkcast, a few headlines, or at least one headline, was uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman said this week, in fact, I think it was yesterday in your colleague Pierre Lebrun's article about it, just talking about how it seems to be the prevalent consensus of, again, a lot of things in the air so no decisions can be made, but they felt that most people want to play this season uh, and and even if it meant delaying the start of 2020-21, because the 2021 season, I mean, there is a point where people will say, well, why don't you just cancel the rest of this season and playoffs and try to get ready to start on time for next year. Yeah. But it, it seems to be that many people want to do some sort of finish to this year first. Players, owners, GMs. Yeah, there's kind of a line there, right? Where people right. would rather people people would re- would want to see this season concluded. They want to see the Stanley Cup awarded, and they're okay if that means pushing next season back to November or even December. Where that line is is when it gets to the point of pushing back too far, where you can't get 82 games in next season. Like there's that there's that gray area where we're okay axing the All Star game. We're okay getting rid of bye weeks. We're okay. We're okay playing the Stanley Cup a little bit later into next summer. But the minute it gets to the point of, hey, we have to play 60 games in that season, that's when I think it gets to the point of, okay, well, you know what? We're just going to cut it off. We don't want to lose 20 games of revenue, basically, for NHL teams to get this done right now and get this done. So that's kind of that gray area. When does that line... And I don't know the answer to that. No, no one does. No, we don't. But, it, but it's kind of that, that area. Of, that's the line we're dealing with as we go through. Okay, if we can play the Stanley Cup and start in November and still play the Stanley Cup in August and September and start the season in November and still have 82 games, great. The, the NHL would willingly ax the All-Star game. That's something that is easily they – could, they could ax the All-Star game. Well, and frankly, no Sean, violence. they've kind of been talking about whether or not they should do that anyway. So – Yes. Doing it because of another excuse would be kind of a, a subset way of them saying, maybe we really don't need this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the All Star Game is a point now where you have 
that's this converse, whole conversation for another day of what should be and what could be done for that. But obviously the players, it's... it's There's a segment more idea right there. We can talk that about is, how much yeah. we don't like the All-Star game. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to be in this for a little while. And I think it's a point to kind of... I, I'm fine with that, that sentiment of, you know what, if we can get a Stanley Cup awarded this year, great. Um, and if, if that means starting in November, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I am the too. Interesting thing that, the real interesting story that I saw that popped up yesterday or two days ago, I think it was also from Pierre, and I think Elliot Friedman had it out there too, was how um, Bill Daly said that if, if possible, the NHL wants to play some regular season games Yes. before, before going into a playoff. And I think that's a very – it's an interesting concept, and I understand it for um, – but I think – my favorite, the, the best line about it I saw was, I think it was in Pierre's column, where he had a player, an anonymous player from one of the bubble teams saying, says, that's not, that regular season game for us won't be a tune-up. Like, right. so it says like that, that'd be, that's like, that'd be great for Boston and Tampa. I'd love to, I, I love that idea if I'm Boston and Tampa, because it's a preseason game. But if I'm, but all of a sudden we're jumping into basically what's a playoff game anyway. So like, there's no, to this Which, player, there was no point. Which then leads to, could there be exhibition games before you get your season going again? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? And, and who even comes back for this? Because like if you're, for example, you're, you're the Detroit Red Wings, you have no reason to so – just I'm going to pick a player in Detroit, say Anthony Mantha. Sure. Prob, prob, arguably your best player in Detroit right now, whatever. But are you going to have Anthony Mantha come back from not playing for three months – to play three exhibition games so the St. Louis Blues can get ready for the playoffs and then say, okay, we'll see you later. There is one argument hidden at the end of that article, which I kind of like is, well, it is their job. It is. So while they may not have the standings motivation, I completely understand that. They are getting Mm -hmm. paid a substantial amount of money to play for those teams. So even if the team and the franchise has little motivation to field their best roster... And that's where they could say, oh, we're going to hold out some of our best guys and we'll have some of our prospects, we'll call them up. Or I don't even know if they, that would be la- allowed, but uh, there would be a yeah. situation where that's the case. Okay, so the t- the franchise decides to tank those games, but the players are getting paid. It's kind of their responsibility to show up and play, wouldn't it? It, it is, but I mean, also if you're a franchise, say you're at a team where, okay, say you come back, just say the not pick a number say you're gonna get four regular season games okay hey we'll come back we're gonna do two weeks or five just five regular season games okay sure and say and say you're detroit and you're ottawa and your teams that are out i have no reason to play my best players i'm shutting them down on purpose because i want to make sure my draft lottery odds are even better yes these games these games are meaningless these games are meaningless. I am going to play, if I'm Detroit, I'm going to play the Grand Rapids Griffins as much as I can. I'm sure the NHL will put a, put a limit on how many guys could be called up, but I'm going to do everything I can to play basically the youngest possible roster. And I, that would effectively tank even further so that I still have better odds of winning that draft lottery. Well, it would be the same thing. I would imagine that the rules would even, we're getting off on a tangent here, but I imagine the yeah. rules would be based on the same four non-injury call-ups until you get to the postseason and then you can call up anybody. Yeah, but even even so, I can take – if I don't know what the situation is for around the league, but if you're – if you take Detroit or Ottawa's four best players, take them out, aren't going to play them, and say we're going to replace them with 
AHL guys or whatever. I take away the four best players from those teams. That's a pretty big impact. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, at least there are some games being played before it gets to the playoffs. I mean, I guess the the last part, again, this is just a hypothetical because there's no end date or line in the sand that we know about yet. But for those that want to go right to the playoffs, yes, everybody would be on the same page of they're all starting and playing and trying to get back into it on game one of their series, but it's more about the deciding of, well, you've played so many games, you've played fewer games. How do you determine yeah. how which bubble team makes it and doesn't? And it'd be nice if they could at least get to, whether it's 82 or 76 games or whatever it is, yeah. at least some commonality of, well, you we all played the same number of games. Another one idea that had been floated out there that just has kind of been discussed, but it hasn't been, obviously all of these ideas are just floated. That's I think that's really what we should sure. say. But you have... One, one idea that's been, been out there is let's take every team back to the 68 game mark because everyone's played at least 68 games. And so just cut what the standings were at 68. It's good for the Dallas Stars. Hilarious. So here's the funny thing. So <laughs> 68 game. if you take the 68 games, if you do 68 games, because someone said, well, do you take the first 68 or the last 68? The Dallas Stars have the exact same record. Because <laughs> they had whether such a bad do, start and a bad finish. Whether, yes, yes. whether you do the last first, six, first 60 or last 68. Either way, Dallas is the third seed in the Central. And if you do the first 68, they play St. Louis in the first round. If, they do the, if you do the last 68, they play Colorado. That's if there's the some way you could eliminate the first nine games of the season and the last six, Dallas would be one of the best teams in the league. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, the call-up and prospect thing segues nicely into our main topic yes. for the first segment, which is actually based on an article that you wrote with one of your colleagues, uh, Mr. Scott Wheeler, who does a lot of prospect work. So, Sean, I'm going to let you set it up, and then we can get into the debate of it. Yeah, so earlier this week we had a uh, – I kind of did kind of a big prospect opus where we went through and looked at the uh, – more or less, basically, I'll use the term the 16 prospects that I felt have a chance of making it because I've done in the past, I've done the major prospect rankings, doing them all and everything like that. But there gets to a point where there's guys where if you're ranking them, it's like, well, I mean, we're throwing a dart on this. I'm, there's, it's not really fair to say what's the difference between who has the 17th best chance and the 21st best right. chance. So we kind of look, looked at like, okay, these are the 16 guys that I think you could make a case of a legit chance of making it in the NHL. And I think a key word just for, and I put this in the story and a key word for people listening is there's a, for me, making it means actually sticking in the NHL. Like for example, Scott Glennie played one NHL game. Scott Glennie didn't make it. He played an NHL game, something many of us will never do. Yes. But, he didn't make it by prospect standards. And so I basically took these 16 prospects. I put them into tiers of where of who should make it, uh, who could surprise us, things like that. And then working with Scott, I had him. Scott sees, has seen all, all of the uh, – talking about mainly the junior guys. Scott has seen all the junior guys way more than I have just in person because that's his, that's his job. He does our national prospects. Um, and just kind of had him do okay. Here's give me a play, give me a good player comp, and that's kind of where I wanted to segue today. I think it'd be kind of interesting. And I asked you to kind of look at the article this week of looking at some of the prospects and some of the player comps, and which ones stood out to you, which ones were intrigued you, and uh, and that's that's kind of where we'll take it from there. Because 
Uh, obviously, I've had some of my own reactions when I saw some of the sure. scouts' comparisons, and so I was kind of curious of some of yours. And we're not going to go through all 16. I'll throw a link to the article in the description if someone wants to go through it. But just, I guess, kind of we'll go through kind of four or five that stuck out to you and some of the prospects, and we can go from there. So I'm going to go from the top down just because that's how I read Makes your sense. article. So. Yeah. Um, and how most people would. They're not going to just jump around. But in your will-make-it category were three guys, and I really don't have an argument with any of those three. You have Thomas Harley, Ty Delandria, and Jason Robertson. I think we we feel that all three are going to be regular NHL players. Um, the one yep. thing that stood out to me, because, I mean, look, they all have a swagger about their game. In, in a, in maybe not exactly the same form, but it's a good kind yep. of confidence. They, they know what they have. I think that... Um, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was Jason Robertson. I don't think people realize that he's a, a how good of a playmaker he is because we constantly yeah. talk about his goal scoring. He has a knack for the net. He's a finisher. But there is a playmaker passing element to his game. And if you remember in his first call-up this year with Dallas – he made some plays and was involved in, uh, I think it was in Toronto, was the Tyler Sagan goal on the power play yep. that mm-hmm. shows that he's got way more in the bag of tricks than just he can score. And so even though he's not the best skater out there, um, I wasn't a big fan of Scott's comparison of him and Philip Forsberg. But what I did see was, I think Robertson is going to be a much bigger impact player on both sides of the offense, not just shooting, which I think is why he will stick because we've seen pure shooters before. And obviously I don't mean to pick on Matt yeah. Frazier, but he comes to mm-hmm. mind. He scored 37 goals his first year in the AHL. He scored 33 my first year, which was his second. And so when you score 70 goals over two seasons, you should be an NHL player. But he couldn't create his own space and he wasn't doing a lot of playmaking. This is and and I actually think he was a better skater than Jason Robertson was. This is where I think this kid becomes uh, a real weapon for a long time. Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about one of the big things that I you kind of see is we've talked about NHL shot and we see that in scouting reports all the time. And I think one of the biggest things that maybe one thing I'd love to start seeing is because we see someone draft, someone scouts some somebody, or we have a. Uh, and maybe this is maybe this falls on me too. Maybe just I'm gonna make a mental note now. Maybe this should be the question because you talk to scouts and they say it's like, oh well, what can you give me? Tell me this because always oh, he's got an NHL ready shot already. Maybe the follow up question in the next line of the scouting report should be, well, can he can he create that space to use that shot right. in the NHL? Because you you mentioned uh, Matt Frazier. I look at a guy like uh, Martin Furk who was a as a I, he's the one that I always come into has absolute cannon of a shot as had one of like the hardest shots ever recorded in the AHL skills competition earlier this year. If you've watched him play in the NHL, which I've had a couple times, he can't get open to use his shot. And no. so if you, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're roaming around with a, with a, with a, with a cannon, you can never fire. It's a useless cannon. And well, so, and that Sean kind of jumps into the might make it category of Albin yeah. Erickson because he, everybody yeah. talks about, he's got a great shot, but doesn't use it very much. Isn't that exactly the same phenomenon? Yeah, it's it is kind of it's a it's a good thought because I mean I remember Erickson to me is someone I remember watching him development camp 
um, and watching him camp. We have we didn't see him at Traverse City yet. Um, I, I'm actually interested to see him whenever he comes does go to Traverse City. Whenever there is a Traverse City again. <laughs> um, but Albin has a tremendous shot. But I've watched a couple of his games. Um, Scott's watched more of his games, but I watched some of his games over in Sweden, kind of just zooming in on just his shifts, and he just kind of gets lost out there. Like he goes out there, he goes skates back and forth he's not uh when he does get the puck there's some skill but i keep waiting to see oh where's where's that shot that i saw that i know he has and i mean kind of one of the things that the uh scott's comparison for him was artem anisimov and i think i think i think it's fair um it's it's one of those where and obviously these are projections where if they make it that's kind of the hope like it's right they're not saying uh, they're going it, to be the it, next anisimov it's just trying yeah. to compare a similar style of player yeah and, and it's just i the other thing about about erickson which is interesting um it's it just if you if you read joe mcdonnell's comments about him um the stars are fat are baffled of why he's not playing more that's the other thing where it's as an organ it's interesting and this is kind of um and maybe this is kind of dipping my toe into a bigger thought subject where you'd think if this kid was in the ahl he'd be playing more if this kid was playing in the ahl you'd have um or even if he was still playing juniors as an overage yeah but but my my point is the stars having control over something well i'm talking about like if he was in canadian juniors he would be playing more than what he is at his club in sweden Hundred percent. That's my what point I mean. Is being yeah. Where, yeah. Where the stars are confused. Where the stars. Right now, the stars' relationship with is they have a player over there, and they can go to Farshastad and say, "Hey, can you play more?" And the coach is going to say, "Why? That's right. not my job." Right. But they could go. They could tell Neil Graham down in Texas, "Hey, Neil, play this kid on the power play." Right. And and then he would do that. And so it's just kind of an interesting insight into a look into just an example of how this development model of when you're drafting Europeans, how things change and everything like that. And it's not a bad thing. Obviously, Miro Heishkinen went through uh, HIFK. Rope Hintz went through HIFK. Tremendous paths for them. Yep. But there are some situations where the team would like better control and they simply don't have it. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Sean, because I put a little note against all these players as I was reading through your article. And what I wrote for Erickson was, needs to play in the AHL. I think that okay. for yeah. him... For he and the stars, he has to come over. And I haven't seen him play very much. Like you said, I, I was yeah. able to watch him a little bit in development camp the last two years. But I think he's a guy that needs to come over and find out what where he's at in North America. And even if it takes a couple of years, they need to have yeah. control over him. Um, and it, look, yeah. I, like you said, it doesn't mean that most of the players playing in Sweden or Finland are not being developed properly. That would be unfair to say for either of those leagues. But... For him, it certainly seems like they need to be the ones calling the shots for him. Um, yeah. A little different for Oscar Bach because that's not quite the same thing. But interestingly enough is that the more I read about what you were talking about, Oscar Bach, yeah. he sounds like he's developing towards kind of like a Roddick Foxa type player. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he is a, I don't, I don't think the ceiling is Roddick Foxa because Roddick Foxa is the type of player that can go head to head with the best players in the world. Right. I, I, I think if you're building a team that can win a Stanley Cup, you need a Roddick Foxa type that can go head-to-head with a Malkin in a playoff series. They can go – they may not get the points, but they're going to limit them. I don't think – Bach isn't that type of player, but Bach is going to be someone, if he makes the NHL, he can help kill penalties on the fourth line. He can help your fourth line win the matchup. And, and um, it's kind of interesting where you look at 
you look at his, where he's played and the kind of the role he's being groomed into already over there, uh, he's kind of being built into that role already, which could both be good and bad. I mean, it, on a positive side, if that's the role he's going to play in the NHL, great. He knows what he needs to do. Right. On the other side, if you're trying to squeeze a little bit more of that offensive juice out of him and he's got kind of this mindset of I have to, this is the only way I'm going to make the NHL, maybe you've got some untapped potential. It's kind of a seesaw battle there. You're trying to figure out the right balance. The other two in your might make it were Riley Damiani and Ben Gleason. Uh, I don't know much about Damiani other than he yeah. has a great story from the draft where his father was in the bathroom and they had to go yeah. find him, and that was great. That was in Dallas. And he's a good kid. He, uh, I don't know if he comes with the same pedigree necessarily as tied to Landry as far as the hype, but yeah. they, it seems that he has the similar level of character that they hype up DeLandria. He, he definitely, I mean, Jim Nill is a huge character person. Yes. Um, one of the big things that the um, stars, when they're meeting, when, when they do the combine interviews with players, is they're looking at character and they're looking at who is this type of person. There have been, for example, there have been some highly touted prospects in the past that the stars have met with, and those guys have then fallen off their list because of character on the opposite side of the spectrum. So Damiani is a guy who I think his he has kind of that, if we're talking about Damiani and player Z just to pick so and so who's going to make it? Damiani has that edge because coaches love what he does. Right, coaches trust him. Coaches kind of really enjoy. He, he's someone who has that little factor that a GM is going to say, "This is the type of person I want in the locker room. This is the type of person a coach wants around their team." Um, I have a great comparison. As you were talking about it, I came up with this because okay. Jesper Bratt was the player that Scott Wheeler's compare yep. the style to. But when you talk more about it, Damiani's a, a point producer, especially with mm-hmm. his team. He's the captain of Kitchener. He reminds me of a young Vern Fiddler. And here's why. Vern Fiddler, when he was growing up, was the best player on his team. He was an offensive guy, yeah. played power play. At some point, he realized he was not going to be the next Sidney Crosby, and so he had to find other ways to make it to the NHL, which was to be more of an energy and defensive forward shutdown kind of guy. High character, everybody likes him, coaches love him because he does all the work. Does that not sound a little bit like Vern Fiddler or, or Damiani? Like yeah, yeah, it sounds a lot like Vern Fiddler. I mean, it's also... Um, and I'd be happy to have another Vern Fiddler it, in the system. It's, it's, it's almost, it's very, it's a similar tag you could apply to Jason Dickinson if he wasn't a first round pick. Dickinson's sure. different because, right. because he's a first round pick and he adjusted his game. But And Damiani he also has the pick. size that not, that the other two yeah, didn't exactly. have. Yes. So... Yeah, I mean that's that. The, Fids is a pretty Vern Fids. He's a pretty. It's a pretty good comparison, actually, if you think about it. And um, you know what? If you said to me this kid could be the next Vern Fiddler, that would get me more excited. Nothing against the guy. I just don't know him that well uh, as far as yeah. as as watching him. So those are the mites. The prove me wrong section is the ones that you still think there's a little bit of a glimmer, not so much of the mm-hmm. uh, the just miss the cuts. And- but and I, and I think and I think these guys and just to, to be straight, I think these some of these guys I think will play NHL. But games, you're talking about being regulars, think, like roster yes, position yeah. players. Yes, like like for example, as much as we both love, as much as as much as we both have, we talk about players that we've in humans we've really enjoyed. Yes. Cameron Gauntz is someone who was a, had a really good hockey career, still played in the AHL, had his cup of had his cup of coffee throughout the NHL. This but year, never made. Yes, that's true. Scored a goal or, this or, year. 
Yeah, but guys, so this kind of is, I, there are guys in this category I see, I'll say, you know what, we'll see them play in the NHL, but will they make it and stick in the NHL? Right. I need to, I, I, I have a hard time believing it. Well, I mean, a good example <laughs> yeah. of that for the Texas Stars fans would be Max Fortunas, a guy who uh, yep. had tons of character, great AHL guy, played NHL games, but never stayed on an NHL roster f- for a full season or for a couple of seasons in a row. Well, that, and Travis Morin as well. Travis Morin, and there's a, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. the AHL is yeah. riddled with good players like that. Yeah. In that list, you have Jacob Stenquist, Adam Maskerin, Jacob Peterson, Curtis Douglas, Ty Felliber, Riley Tufty, and Darson, Dawson Barteau. Um, Stenquist is a guy that you and I both saw at development camp, and I've never enjoyed watching a player do power skating drills more than him. Yeah. He, he, is, he has so such elite skating skill and balance and... I just said, man, this is too, too easy for him. He's going to be a heck of a player. They talk about him being really smart, but can't be not good defensively. And you can't be a defenseman if you can't play defense at some point. Yeah, I mean, and I kind of put that in my breakdown. With, like, I remember he was a development camp. Like, he's like the equivalent of like the NFL pro day star, right? Like the guy who like yes. can go and runs the great forty, benches better than everyone, and then is terrible when they get on the field. Not terrible, but it's, but it's, but it's, it isn't the same when sub-par. they get on the field. Right. Yeah, and that's what Stenquist is. I mean, he, he is a guy who you have – you watch him skate and you see these things, these little parts, kind of these space, and you're like, you know what? That's great. That, that's an NHL player. But you watch the games, and you, I've kind of – I watched a couple of his games this year, and kind of Scott's had some similar thoughts where – he just loses, like he loses his man defensively, and I'm not sure whether that's a hockey IQ or or a dedication. I don't know what it is because I don't know what's inside his head. But it's the type of thing where, as we've seen, you can't be, and this is, you can't be that go 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 creating offense def- defenseman all the time if you can't cover if you can't do your own job in the defensive zone, and that's what he's not doing right now. Um, I mean, this, it's it's one of those things where even the uh, even McDonnell mentioned the Stars have until June first to sign him. It's yes. one of those where they said it's it's going to be a tough decision, and he even said this is something where it wasn't just he needs to get better defensively. This head scout, the head amateur scout, literally said not very good defensively. Right, and so and I think yeah. I want to carry that into Curtis Douglas because uh, yeah. Joe said the same thing to you about him was we have to decide whether it's worth to sign him. And with Curtis Douglas, I mean. He strikes me as the because of his size. Uh, he's listed at six eight, although he said he was closer to six nine compared to the draft. And uh-huh. I mean, he's a monster. He's a huge guy, great yeah. kid, super nice. And I just sit there and go, why wouldn't you take that flyer on him at the hope that he becomes a guy like Scott's comparison was Brian Boyle, but he said it's yeah. really hard to compare this because his size is is really no nobody's at that size. Here's my thought. Yeah. If it doesn't work out, he's at worst an AHL kid for a few years on an ELC. I think you take a flyer in him because just like Jamie Alexiak or Zdeno Chara, sometimes the bigger guys take a little bit longer. Riley Tufty's in that mix. But if they pan out, you don't have a lot of people that can match up with him. And I'll give Scott this. So Scott mentioned, and this is something where I've been thinking, I've actually been kind of hemming and hawing over this idea in my head, where... um, he said, says he would give him an ELC because he's something that you want to try to turn into a success story, or at yeah. least give him an AHL, or at least give him an AHL deal if you're confident another team wants to swoop in and offer. My thought process, I'm kind of hemming and hawing on this, just is 
do you even think about doing the AHL deal? Because if you do that and say, hey, here's an AHL deal, you can earn the ALC, what's going to stop him from saying, well, if I play well enough to earn an ALC, I'll sign to someone who actually wants me as opposed to someone who forced me to prove. Like, that's kind of where my head's kind of going. I agree. I, I think that, like, that there's somebody out there that might throw him that deal because of his size. And frankly, look, you don't want – I mean, this is the age-old thing. You don't want to be the yeah. next Islanders or Senators who gave up on Zidane Chara. And, and not only that, just because you sign a guy to an AHL deal doesn't mean he's going to sign an ELC with you. perfect example is Sheldon Drys. Yeah. The Stars signed him out of the AHL deal. Really nice sign, finding by Dallas. Yeah. Was part of that 2008, uh, 2018 Calder Cup run that they where they lost to Toronto. Very good player for them. Would, would, would have been a really good find part of the system. And he took he took his opportunities to thank you, Texas, for giving me that AHL deal and signed with Colorado. Yep. That's, so just because you signed and has a guy played games AHL, there. I think he realized yeah. that he wasn't going to have a path to the NHL in Dallas very easily. It would have to be, you know, injury-laden and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I know this is a long segment because we did our news yeah, of the day and that first, but I did want to mention before we – I, I want to go a little long on this one. So for no, those course, that, that's fine. that don't fine. mind this, uh, um, Ty Feliber and Riley Tufty. Yeah. I've been down on both guys this year because neither one had the years that we were hoping for that the, the GM and their hockey yeah. ops guys were were hoping. But then reading Neil Graham's comments about both kind of made me say, you know what, disappointing, but don't count them out and don't give up on them. Both guys could be later blooming players, and it sounds like Feliber is a guy that takes a little bit to get comfortable at every year. And it seemed yeah. like Neil Graham was very high on Riley Tufty's growth this year. So I don't think you can – again, will they become NHL guys? I mean, that's the question. It's not will they establish themselves as an AHL guy. Yeah. It's can they become a roster player on an NHL team, whether it's Dallas or somewhere else. Um, don't count them yeah, out, well, the, right? Because no, me, yeah. I look at Feliber, I see him as, although he came in with more pedigree because of his great final year of juniors, mm-hmm. I look at him like a Justin Dowling. Give him time, let him get comfortable at each level. He's smart enough, I think he might figure it out. Um, and, you know, he's ahead of the game as compared to Dowling because Dowling had to fight just for that AHL deal. At least with Feliber, yeah. he got the NHL deal right away. See, Feliber to me is in a spot where I'm happy with. The, like, for if for him to be to get a undrafted guy, it's great. That's yes. to me. I'm fine. Like for Felhauter to, I am, I'm happy with where he is. It's one of those where, you know what? He didn't have the offensive output that people thought he was going to have right away. He does have that, and this goes back to training camp. This is something kind of an attitude I even got from. I, I got talking to people around the organization back during NH during NHL training camp. Felhauter just kind of oozed that team first mentality too. So he also does those things where coaches like Ty Health Ty Felhauter. They're going to that's once again where we talk about the difference between making and giving that first call up sometimes is you two people are even, but the one person is trusted by the coaches and that's why they're getting the call up. And so Ty is someone who kind of fits into that. I'm fine with where he is as a as an undrafted Tufty. It's good that I think Neil Graham said some really good things, and it's it's yes. great that he it's great that he's taking that growth and they're doing that. The thing that's just frustrating is the it goes back to the expectation. I don't want to be talking about my first round pick having to find grit to his game to get AHL minutes. That's the issue. Yes, like it's because like for, it's, uh, if you want to compare it to Roddick Foxa, who was being labeled as a yeah. first round bust until he broke through, and now obviously that's a mistake to even 
consider that he wasn't struggling for AHL minutes when they were saying that. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I I'm not I'm saying that they're that, the same player. I, I do think one thing that I, my one takeaway, and I've always I, I've always kind of thought that Neil had a really bright future in coaching, um, and I think it's something that Jim Neil has even said Neil could be a future NHL head coach. I think kind of hearing his talking to Neil about these players and seeing Neil work with players, I think Neil Graham is the perfect when kind of the fallout of the Jim Montgomery firing and everything. You don't want to say luck. It wasn't luck because they intentionally hired Neil Graham away from Idaho, knowing he had other NHL job interviews last year. But so the contingency plan of having Neil Graham there to be a coach in Texas at some point, you've got to give the stars a ton of credit because I think he's done a tremendous job with these players. And yes. I think he, I think he is the perfect person right now to continue with the individual player development. That's something that Neil's done a really good job with. Um, even if the, I know even there's some players from Idaho who are not – Dallas Stars will never hear their name uh, because the, their ceiling will never that far. But a guy like Brad McClure is someone who in Idaho went from an Idaho ECHL kind of a good ECHL player to someone who was playing AHL games because of Neil's work with him. Um, so I, I think I think Neil kind of doing through this exercise just kind of me more reaffirmation talking to Neil of this is the right person to kind of lead this next class of prospects that we have that you're seeing with Dallas right now. So um, finally, because we do have to wrap this up, uh, yeah, yeah. I have two thoughts. First one, in the just missed the cut, you listed five players. The one mm-hmm. that stood out to me most was Joe Ciccone. Uh yeah. Highly sought after draft pick from – of the stars from the University of Michigan stayed for his senior year. Obviously, for those that follow the prospects, they remember the story of him really hinting at, or at least his mom hinting at going to free agency. Yeah. Do you have a lot of questions about him? Because it seemed like when he was coming out of college, everybody was pretty high on this kid could be a really good shutdown defenseman at the NHL level with some development. Has he fallen off of that? So his his season was very it was rough. He had a very rough season. He looked very raw. Um, his defending was not as good as as it was in college. Um, I'm not sure how he did, was coming off the off season shoulder surgery. I think one of the things that maybe and, and it's it's something that I'm I'm I I may be guilty of it as well. We didn't give enough credit to the people he played with in college. Like we like so he played with Quinn Hughes and. Uh, uh, Zach Wierenski at Michigan. Pretty good two, pairings right there. Two pretty good pairings. And the big storyline and the narrative that I've even written this story before of, hey, this guy can play with top players. He knows what to do. And with all due respect to Joe Sacconi's college career, maybe we underrated how good Quinn Hughes and Zach Wierenski were at maybe. that point where you could have where you could have put almost anyone with them and they would have been that good. And that's just kind of the logic, the thing that's jumped into my head. Now, Joe Sacconi has to prove he is a guy who can actually make it to the NHL and can actually prove he's more of a real prospect as opposed to somebody who can play with good prospects. And that's where he is with me right now. I'm really fascinated to see where Sacconi goes next season when I am he's fully too. healthy. Um, but right now, like this this past season, you, you, you'd watched him play and you saw kind of his – you saw his game and you're like, this is the guy who the stars were – like obviously you don't ever want to lose a prospect. Right, but the they were, they were fighting for him. Yeah, this is this is the guy who was going to have other teams lining up to sign him. So uh, it's it, he's one where he could easily jump up on the list next year, but he also is someone who this year kind of exposed of 
we got to remember how good the people were that he was playing with. So that that covers our list. Um, there were uh, quite a few players on the Texas Stars roster that I went through after finishing your article because you didn't touch on them. And I just wanted okay. to bring them up because some yeah. of them fall in the category of they're no longer prospects, they're depth players. But also yeah. some of them I still think are prospects and maybe you're just putting them in a different category that wasn't listed. And I'll, I'll just list the names really quickly and then I want to give you my thoughts because I think a couple of them should be considered prospects for next ro- next okay. season's roster. Um, the Joels, Joel Esperance and, and Kiviranta and Hanley because I might as well list all three Joels. <laughs> Rhett Gardner, Nick Camano, Gavin Bayreuther, Landon Bowe, Dylan Hetherington, Reese Scarlett, Tanner Caro, and Michael Mersh. Now, Caro and Mersh, Scarlett, probably Hetherington now, definitely depth signings for your AHL roster. Bayreuther may be in that that boat as well. Um, interesting thing we didn't mention Ben Gleason earlier. The Reading about Gleason, and I really like the kid, I think he's the kind of guy that you should use as trade bait if you could. Because yeah. with his offensive skill set, but trouble in the D zone, and maybe he's getting a little bit better, you know, and I know this is a digression from my point, but there's no spot for him unless people get hurt in the NHL roster. Yeah. If you're happy with him as an AHL guy, fine, but if you, I, I don't know if, what the market would be for a kid like Gleason, but that would be, my thought would be, maybe you can trade him force you as part from of a, a, an, air, an area of surplus for lack right. of a better word, right? Like, so like you've got a... the list of names I just rattled off the ones, I mean, Commando Gardner, I think could be fourth line guys right now. Um, mm-hmm. So could Kiviranta. So could Les Bronze. Are those guys past the point of being considered prospects to you? So guys like Kiviranta and Kamano and Les Bronze, to me, they're guys who they're, they're organizational depth. They're guys who I see as we already kind of have them where they are. They're guys who they're, they're swing players. They're guys that are going to get called up, but I don't ever see them being anything more than a fourth line filler. And with Dallas kind of, or everywhere, we're talking about with Dallas. Okay, really. I mean it's right because yeah, I, I, I could see I like, see all of them being NHL regulars. Maybe not with Dallas, but somewhere. I I think they're good enough. Yeah. But, we, but the other thing, too, is they're at the point where we know what they are. Yes, fair. That's the other thing, too. That's the other thing. All of these players on this list, they still have somewhere else to go. I mean, I thought Either Joe Lesbron's might make the NHL roster this year when the pre- and, before preseason. And, and he could play in the, he could make the NHL roster next year. I don't think so, but he could. And he's someone, though, where we I know what Joe Lesperance is, though. Yes. I've seen, I've seen 20 games of him. Gavin Bayreuther, for example, is to me... I've seen 20 games of Gavin Bayreuther in the NHL. Yes. Gavin Bayreuther is not going to be more or less than that in the NHL. So, therefore, he's not a prospect as in someone who's Fair. going to. So, that's kind of just kind of give people. And the word prospect is so subjective, right? Like, it's, it's one of those where some people like to use age. Some people like to use certain time, like certain timeliness and everything like that. Um, that's why I wanted it, to bring this very, up because it, it, of yeah. the, no, no, these no, guys it, all could still be Dallas Stars. Yeah, no, and it's a fair it's a fair question. And, and Rhett Gardner, for example, if there's the one that was probably the closest to, do I put him on this list or is the organizational depth is Rhett Gardner? That's the one that was kind of hemming and hawing back and forth because is he is he someone who is just he's the one who ultimately who ultimately kind of fell into that category of okay he's organizational depth, but he was the one that was closest to that line for me of do I include him on the prospect list? Do I include him? Do, do I look at him as organizational depth? It's 
he was kind of in that area where, you know what, I could see him playing fourth line in the NHL next year, but I also don't list him among, if I'm talking about building my long-term future and I'm getting excited about him, I'm not listing him like, oh, this is this prospect we have coming. All right, we could go on and on. Fascinating topic. Yeah. We've already gone way too long for what our uh, – we don't really have parameters, but we try to yeah. set ourselves a marker. We've blown that out of the water. Completely. But that's okay. So up next in the Quarkcast, Sean and I are going to review our game of the week as we go back to this season. So it's not a classic game, but it's in the near forefront of the memory. That's next here on the Quarkcast. In the Colorado Rocky Mountain next segment which will not be 40 minutes i say this now knowing full well it will be no it won't it It will be 40 minutes is our classic review and this week i give sean the argument of why because he pitched this idea and it turned out to be a fun one to go watch but sean why did you pick january 14th 2020 stars at the colorado avalanche well, kind of one of the things that's, I mean, one of the frustrating things right now is that we're doing this is we'd likely be uh, probably this day is April 10th, I think. Game three? Getting ready for two? Game two, yeah. Two, three? Yeah, game two or three. Game two or three would be coming up tonight between Dallas and Colorado probably. And the uh, um, there's dogs barking downstairs. It wouldn't the, be uh, a quarkast if the dogs didn't no. make an appearance from either side of the houses. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, but, and, so my thought process kind of going into this was tonight would have been a game between Dallas and Colorado. So why not look at the Dallas and pick one game from the Dallas-Colorado regular season series and kind of take a look at the at what happened? Because obviously this was a series that Dallas, it was a much closer series. The games themselves were much closer than Dallas winning all four. Dallas won all four. Um, but like a playoff series, even if a team sweeps sweeps another team in the playoff series, those games are sometimes much closer than... It's not like 5-0, 5-0, 5-0. Well, so, and the perfect example of that is Dallas won the season series last year with the St. Louis Blues, and yet they lost in Game 7 of a very close series. Yeah. And so I figured, let's look at the dallas Colorado. what would have been the first-round matchup. And kind of the game that we picked, I just figured we'd go back to the January 14th one, um, for two reasons. One, I thought it kind of captured a couple interesting storylines. And then the other thing is, because it's going to lead into our third segment, which we'll get into kind of at the end of it, I thought it just kind of, it's going to be turned into a nice segue. So yes. essentially, essentially, we're kind of just set the scene on this one. You're talking January 14th. This is the last meeting of the year for Dallas and Colorado. And for me, this was the game that... If we do get this playoff series, this was the type of game that's like, this would be a fun playoff series. That, that's kind of what this game set up for me. So getting to the first period of this one, this was the final game of a road trip where the Stars went through California. They won in L.A. and Anaheim. They uh, lost 
a game they probably deserve, as Bones said, probably deserve to get a point out of the San Jose game, but I didn't think they were very good against the Sharks, and I was really disappointed that in the return of Joe Pavelski that they didn't put up a better performance against a very mediocre Sharks team this season. So they had a few days in Denver to kind of set things straight, and then came out, Sean, and absolutely laid an egg in the first period, except for Ben yeah. Bishop. Bishop was fine. And it was a this was a common theme of when the Stars weren't good, one of the reasons why they were able to come back and win a bunch of games this year was because they hung around. Now, this was not the case of a lot of times it would be they'd be down one to nothing or it'd be still zero zero, but they were getting dominated. The Avalanche dominated this first period and scored twice. Yeah, I mean this was, and it was the, it was kind of the, uh, it was that Colorado, it was the McKinnon line. The McKinnon line scored both goals, and they scored some pretty goals in this game too. Like they, there was they were zipping the puck around. And, um, not the first goal. <laughs> yeah, not not first goal was not first goal was not, but it, it was kind of an example of you take a look at how good McKinnon is, how good that line is, and. Um, I'm not going to call it. I mean, if you're looking at a team that's somewhat top-heavy, and it's not bad to be top-heavy. If you have a player that good, that's great. Rely on them. But it kind of shows you how much McKinnon drives that team. I mean, My God, example, does he if ever. You, if you were going to do a uh, Hart Trophy vote, I mean, I, I, I probably – Nathan McKinnon is probably right up there for me right now if, if, if we ever file our PHWA ballots. I don't know if that's even going to happen. But if we do Something we may – we might do that as a segment next week because I've yeah. done it – for uh, we the couple of stars publications have talked about it, but I think it's a fun debate for us to have. So maybe next week we yeah. should do our NHL yeah. awards, presuming that no more hockey's played. Yeah, or and then if it does, I mean, presuming no more regular seasons in play. Well, even if they come back and play five more games of the regular season, it may not change a whole lot. Correct. Okay, so that line really dominating. The stars didn't have a shot on goal for the first seven minutes. Then uh, they had a, the Avs had some good chances, but the first goal they scored was not particularly fabulous. It was just lucky. It was Zdorov from the left wall centers. It goes off of Miro's leg and in, so it was a defle- uh, you know bad luck deflection. But it came, and then um, Landeskog had a nice tip in goal. But the reason why both of those so it was two nothing at the end of the first. The reason why this happened was because all of the action was in the Dallas defensive zone. Yeah, I mean, it's everything was down in Dallas's end. It wasn't. Um, it was a game where they didn't play well in San Jose, as we mentioned, and it's one of those where they were going through this start. It was one of those slow Dallas starts where the Stars have had these through the last two, three, four years. Where yes. it's been, you're like, like, how did they start slow in this one? They like they know they start slow. Shouldn't be this. They just got their butt kicked last game. Shouldn't they be? Rearing to go. It was just one of those. I remember being Dallas very started. disappointed watching this first period from the yeah. studio as we're doing the game. I was not happy, especially because you're, you're looking for a response of, okay, you didn't play very well against San Jose. Yeah, okay, you might have been good enough to get something you were unlucky not to. Brent Burns has one go off his leg and in. Shouldn't you have a response? You're looking for body language, and it just didn't feel like it was there. Yeah. Yep. So you go to the second period, they jumble the lines a little bit, but uh, whatever. The big thing I pointed out right away, Sean, was Zoom Dasher boards. I didn't notice this until I watched the game this week because, frankly, 
I had never heard of Zoom. I mean, maybe I, in the periphery there was something where, okay, you can do some meeting. Honestly, yeah. if anybody doesn't know what a Zoom meeting is now, you're not staying connected to society during the quarantine time. But there are Zoom. There were a couple of them on the camera side, which was the bench side. So the camera's on the penalty box side. And you see them in the game, and it just stood out to me like a sore thumb, like, holy cow, those are Zoom dashers. But in January, yeah. I had no idea what those were. I think Denver's actually one of the places, too, where we actually have an athletic uh, ad on the boards, too. I didn't even notice that. I feel bad now. I think it's, I think it's behind – well, it's, it's in one of the corners. It's okay. like one of the corners, so it's not really – it's more of a uh, – <laughs> It's it's one that you end up getting way more play from in photos, like because that's there's, there's there's two different types of dasher boards they sell if you're trying one that is going to be hey here's in television the ones in front of the bench obviously get seen the most and then kind of the other ones are well this is going to be the background of goals and key photos and stuff like that so so in the second period Sean the the Stars power play was at the forefront of this 20-minute frame. And it was a conversation that Josh and Razor were having during the broadcast about how they could go through this whole road trip without being very good or scoring five-on-five, but getting it done with special teams. If you have great goaltending and defense, even if you're not playing well offensively, you can win games because of your power play. And they actually scored twice. And the first one was a really nice passing sequence. All five players touched the puck. Um... Pavelski played it to to Sagan, or uh, and then Sagan went to Ben. Ben goes, but basically the final sequence was Ben to Klingberg to Sagan, crossed the seam to Radulov, and he one timed it home. And I thought it was a fabulous passing sequence. Colorado would challenge it for a offside as they entered the zone, and after review, it was overturned. And Sean, <laughs> this is the goal. This is the prototypical reason why people were upset with. The, cha- the challenge offside system of these minuscule calls. Yeah, this is the slimmest of margins. I mean, it's it's literally it's it's a toe. It's Jamie not having a toe tap and Jamie about to toe tap. Like it's it's it is the most minuscule of offsides. It's, it was right by the rule, but it's the reason why you get frustrated with the rule of are we really trying to take these type of things away when. I mean, it's it's a debate for a whole other day, but it's just the perfect example of this is the type of play that gets people angry. Well, the funny thing is that they're going to change it next year. It sounds like that all for all the governor's meetings they're talking about. They're going to go to the mm-hmm. plane of the of the blue line, which means you can have your foot in the air, not just having a foot on the ground. Yeah. And my argument is that how is that going to be any different? From the guy who drags his foot, but you look down the plane of the line and it's minuscule. Like, let's say Jamie was a half inch forward or two two inches forward instead of being over the line. I guess it would be more like six inches. But instead yeah. of being foot over the line, now his skate blade, he's trying to drag it and it's just past the plane. Is that any different? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you're still running into... There's going to be that same problem, yeah. right? It could still yeah. be... Oh, but I guess, hey, you're over the line, whatever. Okay, so they yeah. take the goal away, but you could tell that the Stars had some swagger. But the funny thing, Sean, was is that after that goal, like their power play wasn't very good, but then they had that sequence and they scored. Yeah. So then they have another power play later in the period, and it came right about the midway point, and Denis Gurionov scored, and it was another one of those where the first minute 
was awful of this power play. Their entries were atrocious with the top unit that had just scored and had it taken away. And then the second unit comes out and gets it done. And I just think it's funny because that was kind of a trend of there were times this year where the Stars power play really did not look good, but ended up scoring a goal. And so then you go, oh, it's a good power play, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that, this was a classic example of that, where it's one of those where at the end of the day, you start to say, well, is it <laughs> is it a good or bad power play right now? I don't know. It's scoring, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So what did you think about um, Philip Grubauer on that goal? I didn't think he was very good. I mean, look, nice passing sequence, um, hints across the seam, Klingberg to hints, and then Gurionov scores. I didn't think Grubauer got over very well, and I didn't think he dealt with that shot. I know it's tough to have to go side to side and make a save, but I didn't think he looked very good on that goal. No, I mean, it's. I think you give Dallas credit, but too, but it's also the type of one where you're at the end of the day, you're Colorado in the locker room and you're going down into the third period thinking we should be up to nothing. Yes, I agree. Um, so. After that, Val Nichushkin hit the post with a wrister in the slot that could easily have gone in. And that's a consistent theme of the third period as well, um, which we'll get to. And then Bishop made a really strong save on Miko Rantanen on a one-timer where he had to go side to side. And again, it's the difference between... Philip Grubauer and Ben Bishop at their stages of their career, Ben Bishop made that save and Grubauer didn't. Yeah. Yes. So you go to the third period and Jamie Ben gets called for interference at the start of what would have been another power play right off the first face off in the offensive zone. He gives a little bit of obstruction to Matt Calvert and that sets in motion, Sean, a serious amount of drama, which made this third period quite entertaining. Yeah, I mean, Jamie and, uh, so they both, so when when Jamie gets out of the box, about uh, 20 seconds or so after he gets out of the box, he and Calvert uh, decline, Calvert offers, and they decline to go. By the and, way, I still have to do some research on this. I don't know when it happened that if you can, and Calvert did this, he threw off his gloves, and Jamie looked at him and then skated away and went after the puck. There used to be a time, and I don't have an answer to this, so I should probably figure this out, yeah. where you would automatically get called for a two-minute roughing minor for attempting to engage in a fight without the other you know, the other guy going. And so you'd see players bait somebody into dropping the gloves and then laugh and skate away, and you go, oh, you just got a penalty for nothing. I mean, I don't know when it changed in the NHL. Like, I remember playing – like, I played in a uh... – Throughout college and high school, I played in a elite. I played in this elite summer league, which was, and just to be, the scores were. It was it was very humbling. The scores were like twelve nine, like where it was, and, and it was in the Detroit area. You're playing with a bunch of guys who were college and were were college and uh, pros who lived there in the younger college, younger pros and college guys who lived in the Detroit area in the summer. And to be fr- and I was one of the reasons I was in it was I was still decent enough of a goalie, but it was one of those summer leagues where a lot of those a lot of goalies don't like playing in that in the summer. Like for example, Ben Bishop won't play goalie in the summer. Right. Anton it Hudson doesn't help the their game. Point. Yeah, like a lot of goalies so you end up with a lot of guys like who were kind of in my stage of life who were who had been decent high school goalies who yeah, I'll play like I'll play against some pretty good college players and games will be 12 nine and stuff like that and but there was a it was a it was a league that sort of had fighting it was kind of like and it was never any of the pro guys it was just some of the college guys who would be like 
it would get the juices gun running because it's something that obviously there's no fighting in college hockey. And I remember there was a couple times where you'd have the roughing major where the one guy, we had the one guy on our team who would dummy the other guy into throwing his glove and just skate away. Yeah. We we, we got a power play out of it. So, so at some point that changed and we got to do some research on that. Yeah. Um, so Calvert doesn't get Ben to fight, but then on the very next face off, they fight. And yep. Both guys landed a pretty solid right hand. I think I, I mean, I said it at the time, and I, I after rewatching it, Jamie Ben won this fight, but Calvert should get credit. He gives up height and reach and and weight to this battle, and he hung in there. Give him credit for landing a good punch and then getting hit a whole bunch of times. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know what? It fired things up. Uh, Jamie was playing the antagonist because they kept showing him on the jumbotron in. Yeah. Denver and the crowd was booing and Jamie kind of played it up a little bit. He reached to his ear a little and I, he sort of stirred things up. And um, just remember that after initially getting called for interference, it was four on four for a minute 56 because Star's power play lasted four seconds when the whistle blew for Ben's minor. And Bishop made a big save going to his right on McKinnon. And then Zadorov hit the crossbar, went bar down, but didn't go over the line. This look, Colorado should have had four or five goals in this game easily. They only ended up with two, and no. so they fight. McKinnon gets behind Alexiak. Bishop makes the save. Then Kamenev gets uh, a one-on-one with Bish on a really ugly turnover. The Stars were not good with the puck in this game, as far as con- con- uh, you know, getting it from their zone through their half of the neutral zone and forward. They were sloppy, and Bishop stopped that one as well. And that allowed the Stars to get the tying goal for Jason Dickinson with about five minutes to go. Yeah, and I want to I actually wanted to talk about, so there's two things I want to talk about that segue personally. First of all, Colorado had a legit gripe. Andrew Cogliano probably played with a high stick, actually, before Dickinson scored. Was that Cogs, um, or was it the Sagan sort of swat out of midair? It was the... I thought it was Sagan at the red line. Was it not? Um, it was Cogliano. Okay. Because uh, Sagan, was, uh, Sagan was at the red line and he bunted it forward. And then is it Cogliano that touched it after that? Yeah, yeah it's Cogliano who touched it. This um, is an interesting so a, rule tidbit, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a legit gripe there for Colorado. But however, the person who scored the goal, I think this was a – and I used the line in my – I went back and looked at my postgame story after rewatching the game where – the FCC became the CDC, not knowing that we'd be talking so much about the <laughs> CDC. Uh, I do remember laughing about it at the time. It's not as funny yeah. as it was, is it? Yeah, but because Jason Dickinson ended up centering that line because this was the game where there was no Radic Fox in this game. And we talked so much, uh, uh, was last week we talked, was it last week? or whatever. We, We've talked about Fox's impact before. Yes. But essentially... Um, this was this was a game where Dickinson stepped into the role Fox of typically played because on Monday at the Pepsi Center, I remember Alexander Radulov injuring Radic Foxa in a Ugh. friendly fire collision at practice. And so this was a game where Dickinson stepped in, played really well in that role. Really, really uh, well. Really well, scored the goal, and just kind of adds a little bit of fuel to the fire of what type of player. And it just shows you, to me, Jason Dickinson has kind of been grown into more and more of that, um, I'll use the word lineup unlocker, where yes. he can... He can be a second-line winger like he was um, in the playoffs last year. He could even year. be a second-line center if he had to. Yeah, and or he yeah. could be that shutdown center. Like To me, 
it was just kind of another example of what Jason Dickinson can do as a key to your lineup where you can move him around. Do you want him on your first line? Probably not. But if you had someone get hurt that morning, you could put him there. Yes. So no, he really is example. a bit of a, of a yeah. plug-and-play guy. Kind of reminds yeah. me of Yuri Lettinen. Yeah, I mean that's in that that's, regard. That's, lo- that's that's lofty, but it's a fair style. Well, and I'm not saying so, he, yeah, his entire yeah. game reminds me of Yuri. I mean, just that aspect of the fact that you could. Letnin was called the the line fixer. You put him on any line that was struggling, they yep. would get better. Um, yep. So the Stars are lucky to get to overtime because they, you know, Dickinson scores to tie it with five minutes to go, and then Nazem Kadri hit the post in the final with just under a minute to go in regulation. Boy, this is one of those games where Colorado talks about what if because they had all the quality chances and just yeah. didn't didn't bury more than their two in overtime. Val does goes wide. I don't know if he actually got a shot away or if Bishop swatted and cleaned it out as he was driving the net. But again, Val looked dangerous in this game. Yeah, I mean, where it's going to be quite the storyline whenever these two teams do play at some point again. He's going to score against Dallas at some point, and, and it's probably a. Be- very important time, right? Yeah, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a big, obviously, talking point whenever that happens. So, uh, well, let's t- uh, let's talk he, about the winning goal. Yes, yeah. So, Chavo- Joe Pavelski wins the faceoff in the offensive zone. It's the offensive right circle, and we're going to segue that part of it into our next segment. But he wins yeah. the draw back to Essa Lindell. Lindell is pressured immediately by Nate McKinnon, but gets away from him, and then takes a shot from the slot that goes off the right post and in. Two things. One, great play by Essa. Nice finish. Sean, I thought Nate McKinnon made a very poor decision because he thought that uh, Lindell was going to make a D-to-D style pass to the forward that was over on the side of the overtime play. I can't remember who that was. It was Pavelski and who? Um, I believe... Do you remember now? I'm trying to remember who was on the ice for that. but it was it was just... one assist because Pavelski won the draw. Lindell scored, but anyway, it might have been hints at that point. I, I want to say or, that too, but no, I no, might no, be wrong. No, it was, I think it was Yanmark because that's around the time. Because obviously, I'm trying to remember they had been putting Pavelski and Yanmark out there for draws a couple times. Right. So, but and, anyway, McKinnon jumps the the, the face off, and it looks. I mean, if Essa had decided to play along the blue line, McKinnon steals it. He's gone on a breakaway. My, my problem with the way what, what he ended up doing, and so Lindell actually sort of faints like he's going to do that and then goes back to his right and then gets free and takes the shot. McKinnon now is above the puck and is out of position to defend. If he had squared his positioning, he could have forced that to the outside and then, now again, look, he's a great player. I would kill for him on my team, but I think he made a mistake on this one. He did, but I mean, for I know, Colorado, but, you think but I think you have to be able yeah. to say that yeah. a good player can make a bad play. Oh yeah, you can, you can, 100%. because he should not have let Esselindell have the middle of the ice. It's exactly what he ended up doing was trying to trying to make a huge play. He gave up the Stars' chance to win the game. Yeah. So Dallas sweeps the series, and in the post game, the Colorado Avalanche were upset with something, and that was. Face-offs, and that leads us to our next segment. Right 
right, segment three of what is quickly becoming an out-of-control marathon again. But maybe that's the, the theme, Sean. We always go longer than we want. When it was the car cast, we'd always be sitting in front of your house going, God, we need to go home, it's late. And then talk for 20 minutes about the lightning round anyway. Yep. So why not? I mean, what else are you doing today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the... Um, the 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 carryover from the the stars game was that they swept the series and the avalanche afterwards uh, Jared Bednar even usually sometimes it's a player but the head coach for the avalanche was complaining about the stars cheating in faceoffs and we yeah. said you know what we have to get into more conversation about that so let's start with the most blatant one and it's not the Dallas Stars fault it's the it's the linesman if you yes. go back and watch that final face-off, Pavelski wins it to Lindell, and he ends up beating McKinnon and scoring the goal. He should not. It should have not happened. The face-off should not right. have happened. Joe Pavelski yes. tried to time the play, and he jumped it, and he put his stick. He's, he was on his strong side, and he went to the backhand. He went too early. The linesman didn't move, and so now his stick is on the other side of the dot. And then the linesman dropped the puck. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I, I went back. I didn't really notice it when they the game happened, but watching it back and knowing about the complaint, linesman should not have dropped the puck. He, I mean, Joe yeah. Pavelski tried to time it's, it. He, he, it was a false start. He should have been backed off, and they should have reset. Yep, it's something that's abundant even more so knowing it in hindsight and when you rewatch. Oh, it's, it's so blatant, like, isn't it? It's something where, like, when it happens at the time. And I remember just watching. It's one of those where, because what happens, you know how, what, for just kind of give people an idea of what happens at the end of the game, especially in an overtime goal. Um, I'm typically, re I sometimes rewatch an overtime goal on my phone on the elevator down. Sure. Or, if, or I'm even watching it later just because the game ends and then I'm getting to the elevator to get down. So it's one of those where you get downstairs and it's the type of thing where, in, in a perfect world where we're able to freeze frame everything and do things right away, we probably have this conversation with the stars about it after the game of, oh, what did you see on that face-off play? But we didn't ask about it after the game because it's one of those where you see it, you're, you're re-watching 30 minutes after you get it from the locker room, you're like, oh, wow, that was... Uh, it's way worse when you're looking it. for yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, that... But it's... So, yes, that play is one where the linesman definitely should have... But, this continues where it's more becomes more than one play where Jared Bednar, I believe the next day talked about how, well, the stars cheat on faceoffs the entire time. How yes. the stars were cheating on faceoffs the entire time. And this is not a just in this and kind of get into our, the, the biggest, the name of the name of this segment. And I'll probably make this as part of the title of, of the, this week's episode <laughs> is do the stars cheat on faceoffs because it's not just Jared Bednar. It even goes to the point of uh, a week ago or a week and a half ago when during the Zoom meeting where Gabriel Landeskog and Jamie Benner are in there. And the um, I'm drawing a blank on the moderator's name right now. goes to Oh, ask it's, uh, was it John Della Camera? Yeah, John Della Camera asks ask Landeskog which of the players on this Zoom call yes. uh, cheats the most on faceoffs. And Jamie chimed in of, oh, well, he's going to say the entire Dallas Stars. And Landeskog... <laughs> Not jokingly, but he, not jokingly, pretty much said, like, rather seriously, yeah, Dallas cheats more than anyone. <laughs> now, this is not 
So there's history. I mean, the stars, the Colorado is the one that's been most blatant about it. The stars in general have been accused of cheating and being more aggressive on faceoffs quite a bit. It's not the first time. Um, most notably, it was the if you you go all the way back to the 2000 uh, the 2016 playoff series between Dallas and Minnesota, and John Torchetti was big on, <laughs> on harping post game of post game that the stars are cheating in the faceoffs. They're using their feet more than their the linesmen are allowing them to use their feet more than they do. Um, and it's, it's it's fascinating because so for one. The Stars are a good face-off team. Yes. They, I've, got, I've got it up right here. The Stars finished at the, season, at the time of the season suspension. The Stars ranked fifth in the league at 51.8% on face-offs. Now, um, Philadelphia led the league at 54.6. Um, Colorado ranked 19th. So we're talking about a team that is already – one team that is already good at face-offs and one team that is bad on face-offs. And it's kind of interesting where this is going to go. Um, on one of the fascinating things about this and one of the reasons that – these stars are so good at face-offs. And one of the things that they do um, is part of it is Tyler Sagan's growth in the face-off circle. Um, but it's kind of in this actually, I, I actually kind of look at this. This goes all goes back to Rich Peverly. Um, so it goes back to one of the reasons Rich Peverly was so good on face-offs in his career. And Rich will even sheepishly mention it if you talk to him about it. Rich Peverly so often was so good at the swivel with the uh, basically – would swivel with his right foot. He, he would swivel in with his right foot and either take the other player's blade out or bring or drag the puck behind him with his skate and his stick. He would use um, his would feet to take, like basically win the draw. He would use his feet to win the draw, and it's something that say he taught Sagan actually. Tyler Sagan has told me is just he, he learned this from Peverly. It's something where um, they had this. Uh, they had this kind of it, – it's something where the year, even though Rich Peverly's one year in Dallas, did not really ended very – unfortunately, it's something that he worked on with Peverly then and, and continued to work with him even after he retired. And so that swivel and kick thing, Roddick Foxa does it a ton now. Um, Roddick Foxa does it a ton now. You've seen other guys have come up and other, other star centers have done, it, have done it a lot now too. That's where – when Jason Dickinson is good on faceoffs, that's what they do. They use their feet a ton, and a lot of this goes back to, hey, Tyler Sagan is going for, is becoming one of the NHL's best faceoff guys by doing this. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna use his. We're gonna. Okay, what's and Tyler he doesn't doing? want to we're talk gonna, about it, does he? No, he, he doesn't want to talk about it with us, but he talks about us with players. So right. He talks about like he'll talk like as a team they talk about it all the time. All the centers talk about, hey, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that, and so. As a team, I really think a lot of this goes back to bringing Rich Peverly in. It's kind of one of Pe- one of Pev's lasting legacies on the ice because obviously he's also done a great job in the player development model. But which is what he's still doing today is he's helping develop with some of these moves. Yes, but with the NHL, with the yeah, and, and continue, with the current NHL roster, even before he was ever given a role to work with prospects, right. he kind of he left a lasting impact of this is the hey we're going to win faceoffs we're going to take advantage of this. And, and it's the type of thing where the other thing about face-offs that this kind of all comes down to, it's just, it's the very old cliche. If you aren't cheating, you aren't trying to, I mean, just to be, just to be frank, there are, it's like, it's like holding in football, right? It's, right. There is where people it happens say, what, every what, play. What? Yeah. So here's, so, here's the thing, Sean, yeah. is that when you and I were talking about, should we uh, do this as a carryover segment? We had enough to do. It immediately reminded me of, well, you know, Sidney Crosby got accused of being a world-class cheater in face-offs. And I had to go back and look it up because I couldn't remember what it was from. It actually was more recent than I remember because 
I was sort of thinking, oh, well, it had to be back when they were, you know, fighting for their first Stanley Cup, and, you know, maybe it was... Like, kind of like... 0809 yeah. series. Yeah, it wasn't. Like that, yeah. It was actually in 2016, the year the Stars thought they had a pretty, and they did, decent chance of winning a Stanley Cup, was they lost in the Game 7 second round to St. Louis. If they had gotten by that, I had said at the time, and I still believe it, if they had found a way to win that series, I think they beat the San Jose Sharks, and then I think they would have been a heck of a matchup to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well... In game after game two of the 2016 Stanley Cup Final between the Sharks and the Penguins, Logan Couture got in front of the scr- the media scrum and complained that and basically said Crosby cheats and I quote he gets away with it he's Sidney Crosby he times them and yet they don't kick him out for some reason probably because of who he is. Well, the next day Mike Sullivan wasn't very moved with it and said everybody cheats. If you're not being if you're not trying that, you're not being a good center iceman is trying to figure out a way to win the faceoffs. And <laughs> Logan Couture's comments were not so much mad at Sidney Crosby's antics for being for what Crosby was doing. And I think this is more of why Jared Bednar and the Avalanche should have reworded it and and I'll tell you why they didn't. Because their complaint is with the linesmen, not with the the other team. In this case, the Stars, or in the yep. case of the Sharks, it's not just Sidney Crosby. It's the linesmen. But if they get out and complain about the referees and linesmen, they probably get fined by the NHL for criticizing the officiating. Yep. That's probably yes. why they go after the player, even though it's not what the player's doing. It's like, for example, the Pavelski faceoff win against Lind- uh, you know, to the Lindell uh, Colorado goal. They're mad at the linesman for not blowing the play dead well, and resetting. Not that that's, Pavelski won that faceoff. And that Pavelski, well, that's a play where if it gets blown dead, Pavelski laughs at it. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, well, now, we t- we t- now I get tossed and we have someone else take the drop. It's, like, it's one of those faceoffs that's yeah. absurd, like it should never happen. And and that's it. But, it, I mean, if he, he wins it, he's probably laughing like, I can't believe they let me get away yeah. with that. And so, and also, it's it's a message you can't yell at the linesman because you you get fined. You can't do that. Like Claude Julian is what the only one who's yelled, who's called out referees this this season. I think uh, at least um, the most notable. Yeah, but by doing that, because remember, Tort- he, didn't Tortorella have a nice rant about the officials this year? He did. He did too. I think. But Bednar didn't he do a, Didn't he rant and then stomp off? I think it was like a. It was did, almost like a mic yeah. drop. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But. Uh, Bednar's also was planting the seed where it's strategic of, hey, of I'm planting the seed for, for when we play in April, or that's when the plan was when we play in April, that when I bring it up again to the linesman before the game, they're like, oh, yeah, we know they're cheaters. We're going to watch them more. Like, it's it's, it's gamesmanship, too. Like It's um, total it's, gamesmanship. It's, and you know what else? It's yeah. also coming after pretty consequential things. So the Avalanche complain yeah. after an obvious overtime face-off win and goal. Crosby wins a clean draw that directly leads to Connor Sherry winning in overtime in game two. And it was Logan Couture who blew his coverage on Connor Sherry on that goal. So there's gamesmanship and there's also frustration because it's, it's not just on a face off at 10 minutes into the first period. It's on a crucial game deciding play. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the thing where it's, it's a, you need to send that message and you don't want to send that message about yourself. And you know what? The other thing too and I'm actually curious now. I don't know what I don't know what San Jose's numbers were then, um, but San Jose this year, for example, and now obviously this is a year where Pavelski's no longer there, and Pavelski's pretty good at faceoffs. San Jose this year ranks 24th in faceoffs, 
Um, hold on, maybe I can pull that up for... We're talking, what year is this, 2015-16? It was 2015-16, which was also the year the Stars won the Western Conference regular season. Let's see They if were second only to Washington, if I remember correctly. So, I, as you're looking that up, Sean, I just want to go back to that. Um, in, in that article, yeah. it was talking about Couture complaining. They... Sidney Crosby went 51.7% in the regular season. In the playoffs, he was at 52.7%, so pretty much about the same. But in the Stanley Cup final, he was absolutely abusing the Sharks. He was 26 for 40 through Game 2, 65%, and he went 17 of 24 in that game. So they were frustrated because they couldn't win against Crosby in that game. Well, and also, so I just looked it up. San Jose that year ranked 23rd in faceoff percentage in the league. Um, this year, Colorado ranked 19th. And so the other thing is, you notice if you are a yeah. team that is not good at faceoffs, you have more reason to complain about people cheating on faceoffs. It's just. It's, I think maybe the most interesting thing of all this, and we've already touched on it, but it, just to sum it up, is the hidden underlying messages in this are not exactly the words coming out, but you can see what layers are underneath. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the stars, to, to get to the answer of the question, do the stars cheat on faceoffs? Yes, but everyone cheats on faceoffs. Maybe they're just like, better cheaters than you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, so there you have it. Some legal cheating, so to speak. Up next, it's time for the lightning round. <laughs> Right. Never get tired of the ACDC guitar riffs. It's the lightning round. Sean, that is one of the benefits of the Quarcast is that we have the time to do some actual audio production and put some music beds into our, our Quarcast because in the Carcast, it's plug, send. It's usually like one in the morning. All you want to do is go oh, to bed. It's kind of fun to be able to put some music and get everybody riled up. Or at least yeah, us. it's raw. It's it's very raw. It's very. Uh, but it's also what we like about the car yeah. uh, the car cast yes. is that it's yes. engine noise and bad smells and people cutting us off and yeah. Now it's dogs so, barking and and uh, ACDC. Yep. And some seriously bad hair going on by me today, but nobody else can see the bedhead that I'm rocking. <laughs> it is pretty. It is pretty bad. It is. It is. Uh, it's one of my better bedhead things going on all right so let's get to the lightning round sean lead us off yeah we'll start with uh from sam cooker i think is how you could pronounce it um it's a dangerous one if you get that wrong yeah i know uh so guys from the late 90s talk about hotel roommates players today don't share rooms when was the switch oh five oh six technically so sam Actually, there are players that still share rooms. Um, if you're on an entry-level contract, you still share a room. Uh, you still share a room on the road. Guys who are no longer on entry-level contracts, they're the ones who now get a hotel room to themselves. So um, 
I believe this actually is a change that happened. I think it was after the 12-13 CBA. I, th- I think it was the 2012-13 CBA, but I might be wrong on that. Um, but I, I do know currently you have guys who are in ELCs. They share. They can share a room. Some players don't. Um, there are certain players who are giving her given sometimes given uh, uh, what's not not grandfathered. They're given a. Uh, they're given uh, seniority. Like Mira doesn't. Yeah, Mira Hishkinen doesn't share a room on the roads. Yeah, th- that's not seniority. Uh, that's just uh, superstar status. Yes. So um, Mira, you're, you're good enough. Or... You get your own room. I mean, it, yes. it's yes. sort of a sign of respect of of either being in the league for a while or or reaching yeah. a certain level of of importance to your team. I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check on that. That's when we're. I'll have to check on that. Yeah. One on, on Miro. I'm trying to remember because I'm trying to remember whether Miro had. Um, I, I wish I would have looked this up before because I'd give a better answer. But I'm trying to remember whether Miro was given a full room by himself, just or it was just kind of a happenstance of when we have when we have an odd number of ELCs, Miro's the one that gets his own room. Right. So I have to I have to do some digging on that for for the future on that one. But Sam, yeah, good they, question. But basically, it used to be Sean. It used to be that the guys would share rooms, and it was very important of having like-minded personalities uh, or at least you try to be if you're a quiet guy maybe you have two quiet guys in the room if you're a guy that likes to go out and cause mischief maybe you have two uh, or you split those guys up i mean there's all sorts of reasons for how you did the room lists and and in the ahl they still do that so um i know coaches sometimes get involved in in that because they like to try to tamp down on things sometimes Or, I mean, one of the classic ones was, and I wrote this right when he got elected uh, to the Hall of Fame, was Craig Bloodwig and Sergey Zubov were roommates. And <laughs> you talk about two completely different people who, uh, completely different people who are both spending a lot of time out of the room for different reasons. Craig was at the bar, Sergey was smoking. So, <laughs> so one, one of the things that reminds me of this, we were talking about hotels, is. Doug Lidster, who was a former NHL defenseman, very good one, um, won a Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers, um, and of course was the assistant coach for the Texas Stars and then the Vancouver Canucks with Willie Desjardins when I was there, uh, not in Vancouver, but in Texas. And I remember him telling me about playing for Mike Keenan with the Rangers. And one of the things that struck me was interesting is that Mike Keenan was known as being a particularly uh, old school, hard ass coach. And some guys really didn't like playing for him because he was so ruthless. And it was mind games and, uh, you know, just in your face all the time. And it's, I think Ken Hitchcock did that to some degree, uh, at least. I know that guys used to do things like that. Yeah. But one of the things Doug said is that he always liked playing for Mike Keenan because off the ice, everything was first class. Best hotels they could get. Great travel, uh, you know, special planes at times because this was not this was back in the day where charter flights weren't the norm for every team. And he talked about how one of Mike Keenan's theories was everything else is going to be the best, so that it takes away excuses. Players really can focus on playing hockey. Uh, Lou Lamarillo was another guy who had that philosophy of you know we're going to treat you really well so that but then you as hockey players we're going to demand a, a very high standard and so well you may not have liked how Mike Keenan's on ice demeanor his bedside manner so to speak 
you might have really liked being part of that traveling entourage. Because back yeah. then, not every team traveled the same way and stayed in the same hotels. I can't imagine that today there's any NHL team that that skimps on hotels. I think they have to hit a certain level. So, Have you heard of any no, players I, complaining about no, hotels? No. I mean, the only complaint I've ever heard about hotels was uh, actually the uh, Antoine Roussel didn't like where the Stars stayed in Edmonton. Uh, so he would actually bring his own pillows. That's the only <laughs> one I've ever heard. I mean, I've heard um, about players so. complaining or teams complaining about location of a hotel or more yeah. more uh, specifically location of the arena compared to where the good hotels are. Yeah, um, and in general, I mean, it's kind of, it became an arms race, and so everyone had to do it. Because right. you don't want to be the, I think, it, I'm trying to remember which, who I saw recently, but I remember recently seeing someone doing a Q&A on Twitter um, who said essentially it started with the Rangers and the Maple Leafs, and he said you could blame the Rangers and the Maple Leafs for the entire league going from Marriott's to the Ritz. Right, and it was because the you, yeah. you know teams with with yeah. really deep pockets said we're going to have the best, and because we're the Rangers, we're the we're Toronto. Yep. And then everybody else basically had to follow suit, didn't they? Yep. So nothing against uh, a good yeah. Marriott, though. I might add. No, no, no. I have a. I have many Marriott points. That is the. Uh... But you know what? If the team says we're going to stay at the Ritz and it's on their dime, fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's just one question. Uh, not yeah. very lightning-ish, but uh, my no. this Sean, this is for me, so I'm going to read it because Josh Kerber is one of our technical directors on the ticket broadcast of the Stars Radio, and he writes in, "Which technical director do you miss the most?" And he then tags Matt Birmingham and Tyler Samsel. Those are the other two. And so I actually responded to this yesterday on Twitter and said, that's easy, it's Margot, because Margot Mir is um, the what was one of our former technical directors who now works over at Fox Sports Southwest uh, doing stuff in the control room and other behind-the-scenes things, um, just to tease them all. But we have uh, the political answer, and it's true, is we have some wonderful people working behind the scenes that don't make a lot of money over at the ticket, but do great stuff and work, run the board and keep all the, the simulcast going or on radio only games. They're the ones in charge. And so, uh, look, we've been very fortunate. Matt and Tyler and Josh all do a great job, but I like to tease Josh a lot. So I absolutely am not going to give him the crown. So, uh, Margo is my, is number one right now. Yeah. Um, Onward. Go to, from Joe, if the season doesn't resume, what happens with all these trades that were made? I'd be pretty upset if I gave a first-round pick for two or three weeks of the player services. So to talk to – the interesting thing to me from Joe's question is, I mean, the obvious answer, and there's so many unknown things right now, but the trades happen. They're not being undone. No. It's, it's, and, and, and they're not being undone. The trades happen. The interesting thing, though, is – and there's a list that was compiled by uh, I think it was one of the one of our writers in Montreal compiled a list all of the conditional picks that may not be settled or how will they be settled? Yeah, that's tricky, if isn't it? If, there, if there's no playoffs, um, which it, it just that's going to be a fascinating part of this. So if you had a if you had a made a trade, uh, the Stars didn't make any this year, but just this hypothetical, just to use the Matt Zuccarello trade, where the Stars had to reach the. Um, the stars had to had to what was it for them to for it to become another for it to become the it was, second they had to it was what to get to the third round 
and it became a first. So there were two there were two conditionals. One was if the Stars get to the third round of the playoffs and he plays at least fifty percent of the games. Yeah. And if he re-signs, then the other one, this then the third round became a first. Yeah. So it's gonna be interesting what happens to all those conditions if we don't have games and how those conditions are altered by a reduced playoff. Because say we have Say we go to a – say you're a team that made a trade where, hey, here's this player. Say I make a trade to you and say, okay, but if you if you win two rounds – because that's how they're worded. If you win two rounds, I get a first-round pick. If you win a wild-card round, is that two rounds? Like, like we've got all of these questions now that pop up. Like Yeah. Like, no, like, it would really like, cause a lot of consternation. Look, the, the one thing is you said before, they're not going to unwind any of this. So no, no, no. regardless happened, of it, so I mean, the, the, the simple answer, which is a bit callous is sucks to be you. If you made a trade yeah. and gave up picks and got a guy for a couple weeks and then there were no yeah. playoffs, but there are a lot of deeper issues to try to weed through that. There's going to be some serious bargaining between team, uh, between the league yeah. and, and players to try to figure all this out. It's just like what we talked about last week, as far as like Andre Sekera, who is three games away from hitting a bonus. Yeah, things like that. Now, some uh, teams could elect to give those bonuses anyway. It'll be a team by team basis. You know, they might say we're going to give that to you out of goodwill or something, but probably not. They might. They might. But if you're sneaky, here's how you do it. You go and say, hey, Andre, we're going to give you the bonus, but we're just going to write it separately. It's not going to be against our cap. Is that illegal? I don't know the rules. I feel like that would be so, that's like under the I, table no, payment. I, I know, but like as much as I want to be nice to Andre Sekera, do I really want to cost myself two hundred fifty thousand dollars in cap space? Probably nice. not, especially since the cap isn't yeah. going to go up as high as they thought it yeah. was because of the, this whole circumstance. So maybe not. Yeah. 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 Uh, all, right. all right, Crawdaddy. I'm going to ask you this, Sean, because I have no idea. Crawdaddy writes in, "What happened to the Stars' Noche Mexicana night warm-up jerseys?" Were they made before the pause? If you two already have have already seen them, can you clue us in on how they look? Uh, I don't know. I actually, I have an answer on this. Actually, I haven't. So I'm gonna. That's why I'm deferring to you. I have not seen them, and I don't know. So rather than speculate, I'm gonna pass it to Sean. Yeah, I actually. So here's what I do know. Um, I will just all the facts I know on the Noche Mexicana as of right now. So the jerseys had been made. Because it would have been the, the game would have been March twenty fourth. They would have had to have been made. So, so but the, the jerseys have been made. I have not seen them. Um, I don't know where the jerseys are. I don't know what they look like. I know they've been made, and I know wherever they are, they're sitting there right now. And it's something where the future of them is still to be determined. Because um, that's all I know. And then right. now this this following the following part right now is speculation slash opinion. They will probably be used at some point in the next season. Why couldn't they just we'll do just, it again, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And so they'll probably just be used at some point in the next season, and they'll stay in storage or wherever they're being held until then. First part was facts. Second part is me just speculating. Conjecture. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Gallup Gus, what are your favorite movies, anyways? Um, that's kind of a weird sentence structure. Also, we could we end the Quarkast with "Let it go" this time. I'm sure <laughs> Sean may appreciate that. XD. That's just a smiley <laughs> face, kind of laughing face. Um, yeah. I don't know if we're going to do Let It Go this time unless the last answer really fits because I have something else yeah. in mind. But um, do you have any uh, – you know, I, I watch – look, I have a ton of movies that I like. Um, a couple of my all-time favorites, um, Shawshank Redemption is one of them. 
Um, I really it's a like, great movie. That's I really, a tremendous. That's one of the best movies of all time. Right, and I I love that one. I yeah. I like La- the Last of the Mohegans. I haven't seen that in a while, but I really I really like that one. I mean, again, I've seen a ton of great movies, and I could list them for all. But one I saw recently, Sean, is that we just watched Ford versus Ferrari uh, this pa- a week ago. Hey, 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 we talked. Remember, don't tell me what happened. Remember, no. two weeks ago. I'm, I'm, I'm still ju- got forty five minutes left at least. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to explain that to our listeners, but. I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. I'm pretty sure we went over this a couple weeks ago on the on the Quarkast. Did we? It's the movie. Yeah, this is the one where this. Ford I don't know. Ferrari Two is weeks the, is like a year in quarantine time. This is the one. That's the one where I had watched two thirds of it so far on on planes <laughs> and still ha- and now have no flights to finish. Are you sure we did this? We have to go back and listen. Did we actually do it on air, or is this an off air conversation? I'm, not, I'm pretty sure we had this okay. conversation on air. All right, so but, any movies you want to bring up that you have already finished? That I've already finished? Well, I mean, other than the ones that yeah. you're lingering on American Airlines Entertainment. Yeah, I'm probably going to actually rent Ford versus... I'm probably just going to bite the bullet and rent Ford versus Ferrari. You should, it was very good. I've, heard, I've forgotten what the ending is and my wife hasn't seen it yet, so it'll at least be a surprise. Well, part of the movie will be most entire movie will surprise for at least somebody. Um... Uh, trying to think of uh, like old movies that I really like. Like oh, by the way, while you're thinking about it, we also um, because they just came out on Disney Plus, the new Pixar Onward. I watched that the other day. Very sad. It's sad but wonderful. I thought it was really well done. Watched it with the kids, my wife. We all liked it a lot. I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for just any about anything Pixar. I think they do an incredible job. Yeah, it, yeah, I thought it was a good movie. I wasn't uh, not as uh, not as sold on it being a all time great Pixar movie, but that maybe I think that's also just kind of goes to the quality of typical Pixar movies. Cause I'm not good. I'm not arguing that it should be at a certain echelon of Pixar. I think everything is a, is above a certain bar because I think it's all good. Yep. But if if you're, you're is it my favorite one ever? Probably not. But I lo- I really liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. yeah. Old movie that I recently re- rewatched, by recently I mean like two or three weeks ago, uh, was uh, Gladiator. That's an old oh, really, one I really like. Yeah, I know. I love that one too. It's really good. I, you know what? Uh, uh, Tombstone. Okay. I love That's that one. one really yeah. good if you want to go back. But I mean, again, I could list movies for days. So let's move on. Um, yeah. Christian writes in, what are your early predictions on who the stars predict from the Seattle expansion draft? Also, any idea of a possible third slash alternate Stars jersey for next season? What would you like a Stars third to look like? Uh, well, I think just as far as I, I do believe the third slash so on the third slash alternate jersey idea um, to give you an idea of to give listeners an idea of when it would happen, it'll happen. It probably we're still probably at least a couple of years away because the regular Victory Green jerseys sell really well. Very well. The winter classic, the winter classic jerseys sell like a third jersey. The only reason people make third jerseys is to get you to buy them, and so right now they're still selling winter classic jerseys like hotcakes to use a old. <laughs> so you think it's old, you think there won't be a third jersey in 2021? I don't think so. I think it's something where maybe twenty one, twenty two, you could see something like that, but. Um, right now, they they can still continue to sell winter classic jerseys like they would be able to. Be and they're a great jersey. jersey. They look great. So. Yeah. So, because um, right now, one thing you don't want to do is there's two things you don't want. Because um, I I think when you do create a third jersey, you're going to take some of those Winter Classic elements, maybe that D logo that was in. The I middle. do too. Um, 
Um, one thing you don't want to do is a, you don't want to piss people off who just made a 200, whatever the investment is and basically put out the exact same one as a third Jersey. No. Cause you, you don't want to lose the uniqueness and special toughness of that. But you also need to make it different enough that people who have enough money to buy multiple jerseys will also buy this other right. third jersey as well. Um, so, um, but to, to, he asked about the expansion draft. I mean, to me, the, the expansion draft changes every day. But there's a couple things that just basically the star's decision of the expansion draft is ultimately going to come down to the end of the day. Are you going to protect? Are you going to protect? Are, are you going to protect four defense? Right. Or are you going to do the seven the uh, seven three format? Because boy, that's going to be tough, isn't it? Because if you did the, and really, it comes down to it may it may come down to a decision between, do you want to protect Stephen Johns? Yep. Or do you want to protect Rope Hints or Dennis Gurianov? Or Fox because, or Dickinson. Yeah, but you're gonna you're gonna protect Rope Hints and Dennis Gurianov over them anyway. No, but that's what I mean. Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. But so. but which player? I mean, and it, do you value having the extra player, aka forward, yes. or the extra defenseman? Because if you said today, who are you gonna protect? Your three D, you say, well, it's gonna be Miro, it's gonna be Klingberg, it's gonna be Lindell. Mm-hmm. Is Stephen Johns on your fourth guy? Probably. Do you yeah. want to lose Stephen Johns over? One of those forwards that you would highly yeah. value. Hard question. Yeah, the other, yeah, the other question too that just becomes just an interesting debate to have at that point is, do you have? And I don't know if it's something he would do because if he's a player, he has every right to not waive it. But do you look? If say a guy like Alexander Radulov continues to have a bit of a decline, do you, who has a no movement clause who you have to protect? Do you go to his agent saying, hey, we can we can keep uh, we can keep we can keep Dennis Gurionov and Rope Hints if you waive this this clause. And then the question, then it's a risk of does, you know, if, like, hypothetical, if you're mm-hmm. the agent or Alexander Radulov, do you want to be risking getting shipped to Seattle to help out the Dallas Stars? No, and as a player, he has every, I mean, it's kind of goes the whole thing of the reason Mark Mathot was, ended up in Dallas and was taken by Vegas was because, um, uh, da, 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 da. what's his name who plays for the Kings now because Dion Phaneuf would not waive his no movement right. and I remember Mark Mathot even saying even though he was the one who ended up having to leave a place he really enjoyed living he lives back in Ottawa now he essentially said I, I have no ill will against Dion he had the no movement clause he could it's, protect himself. It's his. it's his right Yes. I don't see, I mean, I, I don't know the inner workings of that, but if that scenario played out, I'm not sure. so sure I see the benefit, unless Radulov decided he wanted to move. I don't see him wanting yeah. to do that. No, and, and it's just it's just, it's just just a conversation yeah. piece. That's what it is. I don't think it would happen. Uh, ultimately, I think the end of the day is I think you're at, you're at a point where it's going to be tough, but I think Stephen Johns is the one that gets exposed because you look at the value of, I don't want to lose. I, I think in the I think in long term, you look at the value of Hints and Gurianov, and I don't want to expose one of them when I have Thomas Harley coming up. That's just I think where maybe you have Stephen Johns is the end between the one exposed that maybe you end up losing. And that's look, everybody's going to lose somebody that they don't want to. The question is just kind of getting to terms with it, coming to grips mm-hmm. with that fact. Um, all right, a lot more of that to go as we get to next summer. When things yeah. will, when you actually have an idea of who's going to be that roster there, uh, Flo, yeah. Florian writes in, "Hi guys, I think Bonus is a nice guy, but not a good head coach. And you saw it 
the most with the evolution of Miro. His minutes went down. There weren't any face-off play designs for him, and his play went from awesome to good. Agree or disagree? Uh, I, I think when, when you look at Bones and Miro, I think there are many things. Like I think there's a reason Rick Bones is a very good defensive coach. Um, I think there are some flaws in him running a forward bench. And I've, I've made this case before where I would have wondered, it, it's just it's just what, and because of, it, it, it's not just the stars, it's everywhere. The head coach runs the forwards. Yes. That's what happened. It's just and what's so because, done. And so like I've wondered in the past if, what, could you have made Rick Bonus the head coach and had him still run the defense and let John Stevens run the forwards? Well, it'd be like really that. interesting to see what would have happened if that was the case. Yeah, and I don't, and I, it just doesn't. I think Rick Bonus is a very good defensive coach. I think whoever the coach of the Stars is next year, I think um, it would behoove them to have. If, if it's not Rick Bonus, it would behoove them to have Rick Bonus back to run the defense. Oh my I think goodness, he's a really yeah. good. I do too. Working with those, men, but I don't think he runs the forwards very well. I just think that's that's fair. Plus, it um, also would give him a little bit more time to focus on the penalty kill, which has gone down since he's been the head coach. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, he's I, I a think, gr- brilliant penalty kill mind. Yes, like I, so I think personally, I think he could, I think he, I think Rick Bonus could be a good head coach if you were allowed to get more creative with roles. But since hockey has such a condensed head coach runs the forwards, um, it's it's not like in the NFL. In the NFL, you don't. In the NFL, the head coach doesn't have to call the offense. You you can have the NFL be in, who yes. plays on defense. So I, hockey, we don't do that though. In hockey, we say the head coach calls the forwards, the someone else calls the defense. Yeah, why not I have why, that, why not have a yeah. forward guy, a D guy, and you're overseeing all of it? Yeah, I don't know why we don't have that in hockey. Like, I mean, they have enough guys is, on the bench now. You well, part of it is because of tradition. It used to be you had one coach on the bench calling everybody, and then they said, "Well, we got to split forwards and D." So you had two coaches on the bench. Now they've yeah. got three or sometimes four out there. And mm-hmm. it would make sense to let, but I mean, look, coaches, there, there's a certain level of, of traditional expectation of doing it, right? You're the head coach. That's what you do. And also some guys like to be in charge of that. And it's also a pride thing too. You don't want to be the coach. You don't want to be the head coach who says, oh, well, he can't even handle the forwards, So he lets someone else do it. You don't want to be that guy. No. What it's going to take. For this change to happen, and this change won't happen, but in the hypothetical world for this change to happen, what would need to happen is you would need to have a coach who's good and say, you need to have, like, say John Cooper, just to pick randomly. John Cooper says, you know what? I'm going to run the defense. I'm going to let this guy smarter than me run forwards. I'm going to let him run forwards. And then they would go be a really good team. And you're like, well, hey, John Cooper can do it. I can do it too. Like, you would need someone who is a good, who is a successful head coach to yes. do it and then copycats. Let's move on to uh, Raphael says, thanks for sticking with us. Can you give us some insight into quarantine in Dallas? How's everyone reacting on the whole? I mean, it's been, I mean, I don't know how everyone is outside because I haven't been outside. So I've been trying very hard to not hard. I haven't been, it hasn't been hard, but I've been trying to make a very concerted effort not to make a lot of visits places. You know, I, I have had to do sort of the weekly grocery run or uh, I've done a couple of times over the last couple of weeks where I've gone and picked up, takeout because we've yep. liked to support our local restaurants that are obviously struggling from lack of, of clients of, of diners. But other than that, like Sean, I was driving the other day and laughing because I, I, the, the, in the last two times I've gotten in the car, gas has dropped 30 cents a gallon. Yeah. Right. And I haven't needed to fill up gas in three weeks, which is ridiculous yep. because 
I usually drive a ton going down to the American Airlines Center and back a couple of times going to your house. Uh, and it just, I have dr- driven a fraction of what of the mileage I normally do. Plus, no kids activities with sports for, I have two boys and they were both yeah. in a, a, a couple of different sports. So, I mean, I was constantly shuttling people back and forth. I've barely been in the car in the last three weeks or so. Yeah, last month. I mean, the closest I've been, there's a grocery store less than a quarter of a mile from my house. And then the other thing that's kind of been the go-to, just because the one thing that I've had to leave the house for a little bit more just because of how, because I have someone at that age who drinks a big part of her diet is milk, just yeah. with, with, with toddler. There's, uh, I've, I've been going to, I don't know if, I've, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are live in Dallas know what this is, but Brahms, the, uh, the fast food place. They also have their own dairy. And so you can go in there and they have gallons of milk. And so that's been a way for me to just go in there and avoid a grocery store, grab a gallon of milk. And that, but that's about a quarter of a mile from my house that way. So I'm going, my, <laughs> I'm living life quarter mile at a time for bad movie references. So nice. <laughs> there you go. Quarter mile at a time to, uh, to, get, to get milk. <laughs> Man, and no drag racing on the way to Brahms. <laughs> All right, Travis wrote in, yep. if you could get go back in time and become a specific player in a specific game, who would you choose? For me, I'd love to go back and be Ed Belfour in Game 6 of the 99 Cup Finals. I hope both of you and your families are doing great. Do I get to, am I, am I guaranteed their same success, or do I have to maintain their success? I think it's to basically live within the perspective or be in the head of that player as they happen. So you can't change anything, you just get to... It's not like you can do like I would go back uh, to what was it 2014 and yeah. go into the body of Steven Gerrard and not have him not fall down yeah. against Chelsea. <laughs> I, I don't think we can do that. Or or go to 1986 and and put the glove down yeah. so Bill Buckner doesn't have the ball go through his legs. Well, that that one we're not changing. <laughs> I mean, at the time you and I would have been at real odds, but the Red Sox have won a bunch of World Series since then, so I'm okay with it now. Yeah, um, I don't think the I Mets have. I, I, no, they haven't. <laughs> um, as far as uh, to me, I think if we're if we're sticking with Dallas, to me, there's only really one answer to this. I mean, you score a game-winning goal to win the Stanley Cup in overtime. I that's Brett Hall. That, that that that's the one for for if we're if we're sticking with the Dallas Stars to make to be to score a cup-winning goal in overtime, like. That's the thing everyone dreams about as a kid. Like, that's that's the moment that I would want to live. The other two that quickly come to mind, and look, there's been so many individual performances, would be either Brendan Morrow's playoff uh, four overtime winner. That would have been, To be in the middle of that would have been fun. Or, you know, Tyler Sagan scored four goals against the Calgary Flames. That had to feel like a pretty good night. But, I, I mean, yeah. Morrow to win a playoff series in 2008 would have been uh, really fun also. Yeah. All right, we got from Philip. Would you rather we kind of touch on this one actually in our news portion? Would you rather finish the season in some fashion, have a shorted 2020-21 season, or lose this season and have a full 2021 season? Um, this is kind of asking our opinion of the news we were talking about right. earlier. So, what do you think? My my perspective is, um, I'd actually I'd rather have a full 2020-21 season. I don't I don't I don't think I I don't think I want to shorten next season. Um, at the expense, because I don't want, I don't want to be in a spot where if we have to keep pushing things back, I don't want there to be the possibility of us 
hurting next season and then something happening to this season. Like, I, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather try and keep some integrity into the next season as opposed to letting this season as opposed to letting the impact of this season keep going and going. Because say we have a point where we're short in next season, it gets pushed back and everything like that. How does that impact? Like it just it becomes so many moving parts. Where as as tough it is as it is to have a year with no Stanley Cup, I'd rather have it be one year where we lament that and feel sad about it than being something where we have to wait two three years to get back to normalcy completely. I agree with that. I mean, I think the big thing yeah. is is that we don't know what's going to happen with the outcome of this and when things are going to start to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, part of it is because. The one really big concern I have is everybody gets released from their shelter at home and then there's a huge surge and another peak of of virus infections and and people will start dying more and more as I mean, it's it's really bad right now. But what I don't want to do is have to do it twice. Now, look, okay, you could argue that now that everybody's done this, that if we had to do it again, people a little bit more okay with it because they've gone through it once before. But it would be better, like, again, I would like them to be able to finish the season at some point. Yeah. Even if it's a goofy way, I think it'd be fun. Even if it's late summer. But I really don't want that to lead to more people getting sick because we had to finish the season. I'd rather take a little bit longer and make sure we don't have to do it again. You, you say that, but I also don't want it to be too goofy. Like, I want it to be some sort of, like, like here, for example, like some of the funny ideas people throw out, oh, let's do a 30-team single elimination tournament. Like, I don't want some team to win a Stanley Cup by winning an NCAA March Madness-style tournament. Like, sure. I don't want, like, I, like I, I, I want there to be, like, it can be goofy to, like, okay, we're going to have 24 teams and some playing games and stuff like that, but I still want some integrity of it's a grind to win the Stanley cup. Like I don't want for whichever teams to win it, even if it's, I don't want there forever to be the asterisk of, well, they didn't actually win a playoff. They won this weird gimmick. Like whatever it is, I want it to be real enough that you can look at that banner and Lord talk about that Stanley cup five years from now and say, well, yeah, that team actually won the Stanley cup. I don't want it to be like, say, just pick two teams or say it's Tampa Bay, hypothetically, just to pick a team. I don't want I don't want Tampa to go win a kind of a weird a best where we do single elimination and then a best of three. And then for forever, we'll be say, well, yeah, Tampa won the 2020 Stanley Cup. But really, it would have been better if we didn't give it out since it wasn't it was so gimmicky. You don't like, want I an don't asterisk want of yeah. saying the legitimacy isn't there. I, I'm with you on that. Yes. So like, I, there's already going to be an asterisk on the season and stuff like that. But. I don't want it to be a point where I want the playoffs to at least have enough where we can say, you know what, this we did the best we could, and we can all agree whoever wins is a legit champion. I, that's fair. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Next question from uh, Hanson Blake. If the Stars win the Cup this year, does Montgomery's name go on it, the Cup? No. No. In fact, I have an example. Last year, Craig Berube was the replacement interim coach of the St. Louis Blues. Yep. His name is on the Stanley Cup. Mike Yo's is, is, is not, and I can confirm it. Just Google Stanley Cup names St. Louis Blues, and you can see their whole plaque that's on the cup right now. Mike Yo is not on there. Correct. So, um, okay. Ardell says, what's the contract situation of Hinson Garyanov? Um, how will they affect the Stars cap space? Um, I mean, they're both going to be, they're both RFAs this summer, and right now, 
it's, I can't answer the cap space question because I don't know what the cap's going to be, and I don't know how this is all. Then once again, this is all tough with how do how is this all going to play out? Well, the stars are going to uh, qualify them, so they won't be able to go yes, anywhere. So it's more yeah. of a question of coming to to terms with fair deals that both parties are happy with, so you mm-hmm. avoid some sort of holdout situation. Yeah, it is interesting. It will be interesting with both of them because. With, with both of them and how this affects not just them but other RFA guys, will having a stoppage and having a lower cap hit next year, will, would, would you think that will push players to say, I want a bridge deal as opposed to a long-term deal more? Because maybe, Interesting, yeah. maybe like, I don't know, I don't know. Because in theory, say the cap is going to be lower next year, the long-term deal I can realistically offer you is lower. But if you go to a bridge deal for one year and the cap returns to some more normalcy the following year, you could get a longer long-term deal one year later. With I'm a fascinated. lot more space so the teams are willing to give it to you. Yeah, no, I yeah. I think that's a very interesting debate that uh, the yeah. agent versus the GM because the GM is going to want to lock in a, a reasonable rate for term and try to get into them, some of that free agency, whereas – the player might be trying to maximize. One year might not be a terrible idea. Yeah, could be one year deals to try to get to get back to normalcy. And the question is, um, will the, will teams be willing to sign that because they'd still be yeah. an RFA, or will they go? No way, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, the uh, I guess we got the last. La- oh, I guess the second part of our Dell's question was: Is Gurionov the better player over Hens? Ooh. Um, I guess that's tough. I, I don't think so. Let me phrase it this way: If you're picking, if you're picking teams in a, in a stars, you're picking teams to play a scrimmage. You and I are picking the current Dallas sure. Stars to play a scrimmage. Who's going first in that draft? Hints or Gurionov? Probably hints. I mean, there's two things: is that yeah. he's he can play center and wing, and that versatility means a lot. He's super fast. Gurionov seems to have the better shot, but hints has been. I, I think he's. He plays more, right? The, the, the complaint was, oh, Gurionov isn't getting as many minutes as Hintz is. Uh, I think there were complaints about Hintz not getting enough minutes. I like them both. I'm not saying that Dennis Gurionov isn't a, a good player. I just I think because of that center versatility, you go Hintz over Gurionov. Here's what I want to see. I want to see both of them um, at, their, at their top because Hintz was so good at the start of the season, right? Yep. And then he kind of hit that wall. Yeah. Slowed down. And then Gurionov kind of picked it up in the second half of the season. I'd love to see both of them playing at their best at the same time. Boy, wouldn't that be and fun? Be fun, and, and, and that'd be a fair time to kind of make that comparison. Um, yes. My, I, I kind of lean. I think long term. I think I, I think Denny's going to be the better player, but that's kind of just, that's that's based off a of kind of a mental coin flip. I, I understand your sentiment of the flexibility of playing center and everything like that, but. Just as far as like which one's going to be a better long-term player, I go Denny by a hair. But that's not to say Rope won't be, but it's just kind of where my brain goes on that. Okay, so. it's a good one to talk. Let's finish off with uh, French toast. Sounds good. Are you making or is it me? Um, <laughs> you have to credit Bones for handling Monty Gate so well. Is there any yeah, chance? Is there any chance that Derek Laxo becomes the head coach and Bones goes back to D? We kind of talked about that. Has Laxo paid his yeah. dues and? And what do we know about him? Okay, so, yeah, there is a chance that if if that was determined that they thought he'd be the better head coach, I it's tough. Like, there yeah. have been circumstances where that's happened. Glenn Gullison was the head coach of the Dallas Stars. Willie Desjardins, who was brought in as the associate coach under Mark Crawford, remained for that next year before he went 
to the Texas Stars as the head coach after that. So Willie worked under Glenn as the head guy. Well, a couple years later, Willie gets the job in Vancouver, and Glenn ends up working there because he was already there. They kept him on as an assistant, and now the, the roles are reversed. It's not easy. You have to swallow some ego sometimes to not be the one of authority. But that's, but that, but that's an easier ego to swallow, though. That's changing locations. To sure. me, I don't think... Like, I don't think... I don't but, think, so you I don't think it would be easier for Bones to move to D if they brought in an outside head coach as opposed to promoting from within? Correct. Correct. Okay. Like, I don't. I don't see. I don't see a reality. Personally, I don't see a reality where Derek Black still is the head coach and Rick Bonus is still on staff. I, I just I, that that doesn't that doesn't jive in my mind. Like I don't Maybe. see that reality. Like I, I think if Derek Black still is to be the head coach, then all of a sudden. Rick Bonus is going to say, "Okay, I'm going to go somewhere else. I, I, I'm such. I can. Someone else will hire me." Right. Um, um, I think. I, I just. It's kind of just a gut feeling I have on that. Um, I think Derek Laxell's at an interesting spot where. I think this entire staff is at an interesting spot of. We have no idea who is going to be. We have no idea who's going to be the head coach and. We had a lot of guys with. Uh, I don't know that we like. For example, Bones' contract goes through the end of this season. Laxell's contract goes through the end of this season. I believe Todd Nelson's contract goes through the end of this season. I have to double check Todd Nelson's. John Stevens was a two-year. Like John Stevens, I believe is the only one who has a contract that technically goes into next season. I know for sure. Yep. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see who is the head coach because that other decisions are going to be made that way. Um, like, I mean, the only reason Stu Barnes, not the only reason, one of the reasons Stu Barnes was the one that that was gone was because his contract expired. He was up, yep. So. Well, it'll be interesting to see if uh, something changes dramatically. And it, like I said, it may, Sean, still ultimately hinge on whether or not there is a playoff and how the Stars do because I still think Rick Bonus has a shot if we come back and Dallas were to win a Stanley Cup. But that's a we're big if. Yeah, we're both on the same page. The only way Rick Bonus is back is if this season comes back. As a head coach, is if there's And a I don't think they have to win the Cup. I think if they got to no. the Cup final, maybe get to the third round and lost in the conference final. But yeah. if they win three rounds, he's probably still the head coach. Yeah, I think so. So, All right. Well, that's a... Another episode of the Quarcast where we planned on doing it within about an hour and not even close to that goal. We had two segments go almost an hour themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess uh, brevity is not our be- our best skill. But if you uh, are listening all the way through, we appreciate you sticking with us, especially because some people are still looking for some extra things to do during quarantine. We're here for you, so maybe that's why we do that. So long, everyone. And if you need to know while I'm still standing, you just fail.